everything that we need in this life. And you've given us all that we need, as the scripture says, for life and for godliness. You've supplied it. And so we thank you for your incredible love for us. Your everlasting love that started for us before we were even born. Before, before anybody could have even thought about us and who we are. You knew us. And you loved us. And you knew that in, in 2016, here we would be. The, the recipients of your great love. And yet we know that it's not only in the past, but also extending far into the future. That your love goes on and on and on and it just never stops. And that we're still going to be talking about it after we die. And whatever time looks like in heaven, a million years into the future, we're still going to be talking about it. And we're still going to be in, in, in awe and wonder of it. And it's still going to be burning strong for us. And so we thank you that we get, we get experiences of your love today. We have the knowledge of what happened at the cross. We know the history of your love for us. And so would you let that change us? Would you let it shape us? Would you cause it to make us better at loving you and loving each other? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so, we're done with Peter's life. You know, we, looked, we were looking at that leading up to Easter. And I, I didn't really realize this, but three weeks now, if you count this week and the last two weeks, I've been preaching love of God. I didn't, I didn't even intend for that to happen, but it, it, just, it just happened. We have a little mini-series on love here. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago we did Palm Sunday and we were talking about foot washing and, and, and Christ's love displayed in the act of foot washing. And then we invited you to come up and, and wash others' feet. And, and, and some of you did and it was, it was beautiful, a beautiful picture of love. And then uh, Easter Sunday we looked at Peter after his denial getting asked by Jesus, do you love me? Three times. And, and we looked at that and, and that question of, do you love Christ? Do you really love Him? And, and, and how that should change everything. Now this is interesting because we're starting a new series on Malachi. And I'm, I'm, we're calling this series uh, Q&A with God. Because the book of Malachi is it, it's in the form of question and answers. So Israel's asking God questions and God's giving them answers. So you're going to get the first question today. And, and the first question today is, do you, meaning do you, God, really love me? So last week was, Peter, do you love Jesus? This week is, do we love God? It's Israel, do, do you love me, my people? Do you love me? Sorry, I messed that up because it's all confused. It's, it, it's God's people asking God, God, do you really love me? So I want, I want to talk about that. And um, let's give you a little background on Malachi before we jump in. Um, <clears throat> Babylon comes in and Nebuchadnezzar is taking over parts of the world. And he sets up a ruler in Israel, uh, that's Zedekiah, 
And, and, and Zedekiah, foolish king, thinks, I'm going to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. He, he put me in charge, and I'm going to show him. And so uh, King Zedekiah rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says, yeah, right. Sends his army. And in probably one of the most hard-to-watch scenes, I don't know if you've watched the Bible miniseries, but they show this on, on the Daniel one. The last thing King Zedekiah sees is his sons being killed. And then his eyes are taken from him. It's a brutal scene. And groups of people in Israel are taken away into exile. The exile lasts 70 years where, where God's people are scattered. They're displaced. They're taken away. And, and, and Jerusalem has been you know, uh, attacked. And if you want to read more about that, you read the book of Lamentations. And, and, and you've got Jeremiah weeping over the city and what has happened with Babylon coming in. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dare read Lamentations chapter 4 because it's not family-friendly for church, but it, it, the horror in Jerusalem at that time, it got as bad as cannibalism. I mean, that's how bad it got. And then you fast forward, because when you look at history, you can do that. You can push the fast-forward button. Seventy years later, the Persians are now in charge. The next great empire... And you've got Cyrus who says, I'm going to let the displaced Jewish people return home. And so he sends them home. And under Ezra, that's a book of the Bible, Old Testament, under Ezra's leadership, they rebuild the temple. So now you've got a place of worship and the people are back in the land. And then you fast forward a little bit more and you've got a guy named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is working for the Persian king uh, Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah hears that the walls in Jerusalem are broken down, and he says, I hate that. How, how can it be that my people's walls are all broken down? And then he goes to the king and says, King, can I go back and help my people? And the king says, Go, go, you can go. And, and, and again, there's more nuance than that. You, know, you could read Nehemiah 1 and see that. But he goes back and they start rebuilding the walls, and great things are happening. But in the middle of all that, and, and we're not sure exactly what year, is it during Ezra's time? Is it during Nehemiah's time? Is it, is it a little bit before, a little bit after? You know, Malachi doesn't give us a firm like, this is the date. But it's in that time period where the people are back that they also start to grow apathetic about their faith. And so number one on your notes, this is what we learned, that 70 a lot of things can happen to your heart in 70 hard years. 70 bad years. And I'm not saying God wasn't working. Read the book of Daniel. He's working all over the place. I mean, you know the story of Daniel. But when you read Lamentations and, and you see the horrors of war, when you see the brutality of Babylon, that changed the nation's heart. It, it changed them. You, you know how... I'm trying to give an American example, and so I'll give one that's probably as pertinent as anything we see going on today. There is a national memory over what's happened in the past. Racism 
And slavery in this country, it's happened. Racism continues to happen. And people remember. People that didn't live back then still remember. And they still experience the aftershocks of our ugly history of slavery. There's a national memory that haunts even to this day. A lot can happen to your heart during 70 hard years. Anger, bitterness, questioning God. How could you let your people go into the exile? Why would you do this to us? Apathy, you know, who really cares? Who cares? I'm back in my land. I got my house now. What's God done for me? I don't know. I don't know. Seems like I just need to do life and, and just get back to living. Or even outright rebellion. For, for the people in Malachi's day, it was, uh, we're not offering our money to God anymore. And, and we'll marry unbelieving spouses, people that are not part of God's people. We'll marry them because who really cares? That's what's going on. That's what's going on. And the people are starting to ask God, do you really love us? Because I don't understand why we had 70 bad years if you really loved us. If we're really your people, and if you're really the most powerful God, how come the Babylonians' gods seem to be ruling at this point? And then how come the Persian gods seem to be ruling at this point? What's the deal? And so this is a question probably no one feels like, especially in the church. We probably wouldn't voice this out loud. But wouldn't you say it's true that there have been times in your life where you said, God, I don't feel like you love me right now. Because if you loved me, this wouldn't be happening right now. And I know that you say you hear all my prayers, but if my heart wants this circumstance to change, I don't see why your heart wouldn't want this circumstance to change. I'm not feeling the love. I'm not feeling the love. There's times when we shout at the sky and we hear no response. And we say, do you really love me, God? Because if you did, I don't understand why you'd let this happen. It didn't happen to them. Why is it happening to me? Do you see how we can get at this and understand what's going on here? This is a nation that remembers the horrors of war, the horrors of exile the displacement of people from their homes. And now they're back. And and there were some years where there was some stirring of the hearts and some revival, but now it's just kind of lukewarm again. Would you go to Malachi chapter 1? We don't know the exact date, as I said, for the writing of Malachi so we're estimating somewhere between four and 500 years uh, before the coming of Christ. So we're in B.C. right now. Last book of the Old Testament before you, if you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, you've gone too far. We're only covering five verses. Honestly, as I was studying this week, I thought I could spend five weeks on this. And I, and I think you'll see that. Um, I think you'll see it. 
first five verses of Malachi. Verse 1. A prophecy. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. But Esau I hated. And I turned his hill country into a wasteland. And I left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord, Yahweh Almighty, says. They may rebuild, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Now that, my friends, is a hard five verses. Um, and I wrestled so much with how to do this in, in 35 minutes. Oh, let's be serious. It'll probably be 40. Okay. Um, <laughs> and not doing a whole mini-series on this first five verses. There's a lot here. Um, okay. So, first thing God says to Israel, I've loved you. I've loved you. It's one of the bedrock things you've got to know about God. He loves you. And He has loved. It, it, it's in the perfect tense in Hebrew. It's a, it's a completed action. Uh, I, I've loved you. I've shown you my love. And yet, it has ongoing effects. It just, it just keeps... There's, there's love that continues to come from the Lord. He's demonstrated in the past. He'll keep doing it in the future. I've loved you. I've loved you. So, if you're new to this whole faith thing, if there's one thing you've got to know about God, it's He loves you. And yet, the, uh, the doctrine of the love of God is not as uh, clear to many as it probably could be or should be. I don't think God's love is as understood as it could be. Um, number two. How does God love? It brings up a good question. How does God love? The Bible talks different ways about how God loves us. I want to go through five really quick. And one of those five relates to the passage today that we just read. One of the five. But I want you to understand there's different types of God's love. Well, the first kind of God's love is uh, God has an unparalleled love for himself. In the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is a deep, incredible love that God has for himself. And I say it's unparalleled because what I mean is there's nothing like it. There's, there's nothing like it. Uh, put up John, if we could. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Has he given you all things into your hand? Have you received the amazing glory the Father's given the Son? And the next verse. The Father loves the Son and shows them all that He Himself is doing and greater works than these He will show Him so that you may marvel. The Father loves the Son. There, there is a special love within the Trinity and there's nothing like it anywhere. In fact, all of our love ought to be understood as in the light of how the Trinity loves itself. It's unparalleled. And not that I understand it completely. It's wonderful. 
Uh, okay, so B, there's another kind of love we should talk about, though. Um, God has a providential love for his creation. Providential, big word, just means God provides for his creation. He loves what he made. When Genesis, God looked at his creation, he says, it's good. It's good. He loves what he made. He loves the world that he created. Now, I'm not talking John 3.16 for God to love the world. I'm not talking about that kind of world where it's like the bad world of sin and God loves the people anyway. I'm talking about um, God loves the animals he made. He loves the plants that he made. He loves the people that he made in that he cares for their needs. Uh, Pull up uh, Matthew. Jesus says, uh, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. they, They don't work, you know, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. For if, but if God clothes the grass of this field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? God takes care of grass. He cares about grass that you mow and you, you, you chop it up and you, you throw it into the woods or I don't know. You know, you rake up the leaves and you're done with them or you chop down the tree and the, and the big tree just, it's down and God loves that tree. I'm not saying don't chop it down the tree, by the way, you know. Go hug the tree, you know, no. Um, <laughs> but, but my point is, God loves the tree and he loves the plants and he loves the animals that he made. And, and, and Jesus' point is, if he loves them so much, how much more do you think he loves you? You're the crowning achievement of his creation. God has a providential love. Jesus said it like this. He said, God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Even the unrighteous need to grow crops. Even they need rain and God's going to make it rain. God loves his creation. Uh, C, next one. Uh, God has a yearning love for the lost. A yearning love. You know, you know my, my yearning, a desiring love. Uh, and I want you kind of love. Uh, I want a relationship with you kind of love. Uh, this is John 3.16 for sure. Um, for God so loved the world that he sent, gave his only begotten son. It's, it's I love you and I want a relationship with you and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer the whole world salvation. Whoever believes in him will not perish. Anybody can believe this. There's another one in Peter that's really famous too that a lot of you know. The Lord is not slow to fulfilling his promises. Some count slowness, but he's patient, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. He has a, a desiring, a yearning love for the sinners. And he says, here's the gospel. Would you accept it? Would you accept it? I want you. It's a yearning love. D, God has an elective love. Elective means choosing, a choosing love. You know know how you take electives in school? Uh, You you pick which classes you want to take when you take an elective. That's the whole point of an elective. You You picked it. It wasn't a requirement. It's an elective love for his people. That's what we're talking about this morning, by the way, when God says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. It's a choosing love. Now, I'm going to get into like some of the difficulties of figuring out what that means. 
because I know some of you are going, okay, that immediately opens the door between Arminianism and Calvinism. You know, Arminians say, I chose God, and that's why he chose me. He saw that I was going to choose him in the future. Calvinists say, no, 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 God chose you, which is why you chose him. Uh, Both sides are saying we have free will. I chose God. I'm just saying God chose me first. Okay, what happened first? God's choice or your choice? Well, this is the debate. But I don't want you to lose the fact that this is true. No matter what side of that you're on, this is true. It doesn't matter if you're more free will or more God's choice. This is completely true. God has a choosing love. There is a choice that God makes. Some of you would say that God saw into the future, and he saw that you were going to have faith, and he chose you. He wanted you. And some of you are going to say, God can see into the future, but that didn't make up his mind. He just wanted you. And because he chose you, that's why you ended up choosing him. Okay? But either, either way, God has made a choice. Either way, God has set his heart on you, the church, in a special way. You're his people. Uh, bring up Deuteronomy. This is great. You, you want to know why God loves you, church? You want to know why God loves the people of Israel? It's because you're so stinking cute, right? I mean, that's what we do when we have babies, right? You know, we look at the baby, and, and, and if, it's, if it's really cute, you say, that's a beautiful baby, and, and you love that. If it's not cute, you say, it's a beautiful baby. And uh, it looks just like his dad. <laughs> that covers everything, by the way. That can mean anything. Um, but that, that beautiful baby, and you're holding it, I love it, I love it. The baby hasn't done anything yet, you know, it just... Just came out of the birth canal. Here it is. It's a baby, you know. And you love it. And it's right. It's, it's appropriate. But it hasn't done anything yet. Except cry. I guess it did that. It cried. Um, this is Deuteronomy 7. Uh, God says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. God didn't choose Israel because they were a mighty nation. Even today, you look at Israel as a nation It's a speck on the map. It's a speck on the map. Verse 8. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your father, starting with Abraham, that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So if you want to know, God, why do you love us? Why did you free us from Egypt? Why do you take care of us so well? You know, is it because we're so cute? Is it because we're such good people, us Israelites? No, you complained all the way through the wilderness, you know? You crazy people, you made the golden calf. You drive me nuts, but I love you. You see what I mean? I love you. Some of us think in the church, we're just really cute Christians. I don't mean, you know what I mean by that. Like, of course God loves me, you know? Have you seen the way I act? No, it's not it. If you want to know the most biblical response I can say to why does God love you, it's not because you're a good Christian. The best I can answer, I go to this verse all the time, and I think to myself, he loves me because he loves me. He loves me because he saw me and says, I want to love that guy. I want to love that guy. (laughs) Well, are you sure it's not because I went to the ministry? No, just because I want to love you. Are you sure it's not because I, 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 have, the, I have a family and I got, I got kids and I'm, I'm raising them to know you? Are you sure that's not the reason? Why? No, I just love you. That's just it. I just love you. That's what I read here. I'm like, okay, 
God's telling them why he loves them. And the answer is, he set his love on you and chose you. And in verse 8, it's because the Lord loves you. So why do you love me? Because I love you. There it is. There it is. Wow. I don't know. I don't know. But that'll keep you going on the days when you don't look very lovable. And you know those days. And I know those days. That'll keep you moving with the Lord when you know that he loves you because he loves you and he just set his... Here, here it is. You can have it. Okay. Uh, Lastly, uh, uh, D or E, whatever number the next point is there. Uh, E, God has a conditional love for his people. Now, this is you I'm talking, church, and I'm talking Israel uh, but, but in particular, I really, I'm really zeroing in on church. This is a very New Testament idea, so I want, to, I want you to see it in a New Testament sort of way. He has a conditional love for his people. Now, that sounds bad, right? Because the elective love is very unconditional. You know, the, the part D, that was very unconditional. This one is, is conditional. Now, how can I say there's conditions on it? How can I say that God has a conditional love? Well, it's the only word I think we can choose. And I put it in print uh, uh, in um, those things. Quotes to uh, <laughs> those things to uh, to get the point across. Uh, here's two verses where it's conditional. Uh, Jesus says, "As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If, if, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love." If you obey Jesus, there is a special kind of love that you experience because you've obeyed his commandments. Now, if you don't obey his commandments, I'm not saying he takes his love away from you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's a special category of God's love when you obey his commandments. Now, here's Jude, in case you, there's another place where this shows up. Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Really? Keep yourself... In the love of God. I want you to think of it like this. This is my, the best way I can explain this. God's love for the church is unconditional. Right? It'll never go away. But, but there is a kind of love of God where, say it's a waterfall and it's right here. I'm a believer whether I'm under the waterfall or whether I'm dry. But I want to be under the waterfall of His love. I want to stand here. I want to get wet. I want to experience His love. How do I do that? By saying no to sin. And obeying him. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And when I obey him, I get to experience his love. Kind of like, uh, I was thinking about you kids in school. I, sometimes I like giving sermon examples for the kids here, you know. Um, Derek now has incentive trips. I never got incentive trips when I was growing up. But apparently, if you don't go to detention, and is, is it grade-based too, your grades? C or above. Oh, man. Um, a seer above, no detention, you're staying out of trouble, they take you on an incentive trip. I think you went skiing this year, and uh, you, you went to a movie at one point. Life is good, you know, incentive trips. I never got incentive trips. I was good for nothing. Um, and bowling, yeah. So all I'm saying is when it comes to the school, incentive. You know, it's, it's the experience of the school's love for you. Well, the school's not really a person, but you know what I mean. Let's say uh, I'm not obeying. I don't get that experience of God's love 
in that, in that special way over here that I would like to experience because I'm disobeying. Doesn't mean I've lost my salvation. Doesn't mean I'm not forgiven. I'm forgiven. And let's just wrestle with this a little bit. Let's say I'm over here and I'm sinning. Does God not love me? Of course He still loves me. He loves me so much that like a good father, He'll discipline me. Does discipline feel like love? <laughs> oh no, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like love. You have to count it as love, but <clears throat> when you were little, oh, we were just sharing this in our small group last week, you know, uh, how often we tried to avoid spankings, you know, growing up. You put the book in the, in the back of the pants, right, you know, and your mom, your dad, they knew what you were up to, drop your drawers, you know, and it was, it was ugly. I'm not commenting on spanking as a form of punishment this morning. I'm not going there. Stop. But I grew up under that, people. And I know when my parents did that, I wasn't thinking in that moment, oh, they love me. They love me. <laughs> or when they grounded you, it wasn't like, one more day of grounding. I know you love me. But it is love when we receive discipline from our parents. It is love. And when God disciplines you, it's unpleasant, as the writer of Hebrews says. But it is love. It just doesn't feel like the waterfall effect of pour out your love on me. I, I, I feel it so good. Okay. I spent a long time describing conditional love. Um, that's all I mean. God's love is unconditional, but in some ways, in some types, there are some conditions on your experience of it. It depends on your obedience. But God will never stop loving you. Okay, let's move on. Uh, let's deal with the hard verse here. Are you ready? Uh, verse 2, you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Now we're going back to Abraham and Isaac, and Isaac had two boys by Rebekah, Esau and Jacob. They were twins. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, but Esau hated. And I turned his hill country into a wasteland, left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build but I'll demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people under, always, always under the wrath of God. Number three, hate's a strong word. But what does it mean? Hate's a strong word. This is a hard passage. This is one of those really hard passages to really uh, uh, grasp, interpret, figure out. What does it mean, though? Well, if you look at hate the way we usually use the word hate in English, if you say you hate someone, usually you mean emotionally you hate it. Oh, you know, your kids say, I hate broccoli. Because when you put that plate in front of them, they have this emotional reaction to it. Hate it. And uh, if, someone, if, someone, if, you're having, if you're having like lunch with somebody, someone at work, and they say, I hate our boss. Whoa. You've got some strong emotions. Dial it back. This, this company's still paying the bills, you know. <laughs> Careful. Um, hate. Uh, we think emotion. Emotion. But in this case, it doesn't mean that God has some sort of emotional hatred for Esau. Like, I can't stand that guy. He's too hairy, you know. Uh, I prefer a less haired man, you know. I, it, it is, that, that would be ridiculous. It's ridiculous to go down that road. In this case, Hate refers to God's choice 
it gets back to that elective love. It's a choosing love. God chose Jacob and Israel rather than Esau and in Esau's country that he started with Edom to be God's covenant people. In the Old Testament, God made a choice. I'm choosing one people to be mine. Now in the New Testament, he's, he's expanded it to all the peoples, the Gentiles. That's us. In the Old Testament, Israel was supposed to be a light to other nations to show them who God is. They were supposed to be an evangelistic nation. Go, Jonah. Go tell those Ninevites to repent. Don't want to go, you know. Um, I chose you, Israel. I chose Jacob. There were two brothers in the womb. Why couldn't both the brothers be God's people? It brings up some hard questions. Um. I'm not going to answer these three questions for you this morning completely. There's no time for it. But maybe it will lead to you having some good Bible study this week. And you, you can wrestle with it, Google it, you know, check out some different ideas. But there's at least three, if not more, big questions here. I can't cover them all. This would take the next three or four weeks to do this. Um, when God says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, is he talking about nations or is he talking about individuals? And that leads into the question of Romans 9, because Paul quotes this in Romans 9. Is the Apostle Paul talking about nations or individuals? That's a gigantic question. If you want to know where I'm at without going over all the evidence, my answer to that question is, well, what's the difference between the two? That's where I go with it. I say, well, wasn't Esau the father of Edom. So doesn't, isn't Esau a person that, that was not part of God's people? Yeah. Wasn't his nation not part of God's people? Well, yeah. It, to me, it's a both and. That, that's where I go with it. I don't want to split hairs here. I just kind of like, I think it's a both. And that's why Paul talks the way he does in Romans 9, which again, read Romans 9 this week, you do some wrestling. Um, second question though is, is this about physical life or eternal life? And some people will say, no, 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 no. This is just Edom as a nation, and it's about their national destiny. And God says, I'm going to crush them. They're not my people. I'm going to take care of them in a judgment sort of way. But God says, I love Jacob. I hated Esau. I chose Israel. I did not choose Edom. Isn't, doesn't that refer to God's covenant? Don't you think? God's covenant with Jacob, and he didn't make the covenant with Esau. Remember, uh, Jacob has that dream, and God affirms his covenant to Jacob. I will be your God. Didn't say that to Esau. And does, don't God's covenants go on longer than this life? So to me, it's a both and again. It's physical life, and it's, the eternal part of life that goes on forever. God's covenants have an impact here and they have an impact in the next life. So when you take communion, you're saying, this is the new covenant. And I am experiencing eternal life now and when I die, I'm going to experience it in the next life. It, I, I guess I see it as continuous. That's just me. And people are going to disagree with me. But there it is. Now, here's the Calvinism-Arminianism question. And then we're going to quickly move towards a conclusion that I think will be cool. I, th I think it will be really good for us to, to think about. Is this conditional or is it unconditional? Oh, 
If you're Arminian, you're going to say it's conditional. You're going to say that God looked at Edom or Esau and he said, you're a bunch of godless people. You were never going to love me. You were never going to follow me. You are arrogant. Even in, even in Micah, Esau, Edom says, wherever we're destroyed, we will rebuild. It's kind of this arrogant, God, you can crush us and we're still going to, you know. God's like, no, no. In Psalm 137, verse 7, I read this last night. Just read this. I'm so glad I found it. You don't have to go there, but I, I, I can pretty much quote it. I can paraphrase it. Psalm 137, 7. When Israel, when Babylon comes in and wipes out and, 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 and sacks Israel and Nebuchadnezzar comes in, like what I talked about earlier this, this morning. Psalm 137, verse 7. Edom says this. Smash them to the ground. That's a quote from Edom in Psalm 137, verse 7. They're like, wipe them out. So when the nation of Edom was watching Israel, they were rejoicing, and they were like, get rid of them. And so all we're saying is this. If you're on the free will side of things, and you're Arminian, and you think you chose God, and that's why he chose you, you're going to look at this and say, Edom's a nasty people. And they were never going to follow God. They didn't want to follow God. And so God said, fine, I'm cutting you out. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. It's not an emotional hate. It's just I chose one. I didn't choose the other. I didn't choose Esau because I knew he wasn't going to follow me. For goodness sake, remember Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. If that's not stupid, I don't know what is. You know, Esau, you're out. You're out. Now, if you're a Calvinist, and this is where I land, thanks for bearing with me, because I know not all of you are, and that's okay. I look at this, I look at God looking at Jacob and saying, I love you because I love you. Jacob, you're a schemer, you're a conniver, you know? You tricked your brother out of his birthright. You, you went into your father when he was old and blind, and you stole your brother's blessing. Remember, he put on a hairy garment, you know? Jacob, you trickster, you deceiver. You did the same thing to your uncle Laban, and he tricked you, but you were doing the same thing with him. You know, it's just, Jacob is not, I taught through Jacob's life a few years ago here. His life is not all like, I love you, Lord. He's not like the model of uh, fatherhood and following God. He, He did have faith, don't get me wrong, but he's not like a glowing model for us all. And so if you're on the Calvinist side, you're going to look at this and say, you know what? Jacob didn't do anything to deserve God choosing him. God just wanted him. He just wanted Jacob. Now you can go and wrestle with that all week, but that's where I land personally. And so when it says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, that's where I, that's where I go. Now, let's make a conclusion here. Oh, man. Number four, lastly, finally. God loves us. He loves us. That's the point here. God loves us. But how? That's the question of Israel. When times are hard, how can you experience God's love when times are hard? You've come out of 70 years of of exile. And if you were reading these first five verses of, of Malachi... How would you answer that question? 
prove your love, God. I proved it. I picked you. I picked you for my team. You ever been the last one picked for a sports team? That's a terrible feeling, isn't it? But when you get picked first, you're like, yes. You know? Um, I picked you. I chose you. And however you want to understand this whole thing of Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, whatever side you fall on, I think we can all agree on this. What this says about Esau and Edom here, Edom thinks they're going to rebuild after they're crushed. And God says in verse 4, you can build, I'm going to smash it. I'm going to smash it down. Do you understand that if you don't have faith in God, he still loves you and he yearns for you? But when you're part of the people of God, his love for you goes on forever. Forever. And how do I say it? I I totally rewrote the end of my sermon this morning because I knew I wasn't getting at the heart of it the way I should have. As bad as life can get for us, his love will outlast the bad times and will go into eternity. But for those that don't believe in him, His wrath will go on forever. And even if they have a comfy, cush life in this life, there's terror in the next because they've rejected Jesus Christ. And that ought to to just stop us. I've talked about this moment in my life before where I, I saw this drama put on by Dare to Share. And they were trying to illustrate a person who died and was waiting to be judged and he was kind of like he was like drug away and he was scared terrified of the judgment that was supposed to come and they didn't show the judgment I, you, maybe you've seen heaven as heaven's gates hell's flames that that drama that uh, churches do and they try to show the judgment and it's really scary but this didn't even show that this just showed the guy waiting to be judged just waiting and to me it was terrifying it was terrifying. And I, and I felt, when I saw that, I felt like that should be me. So Israel says, God, you gave us 70 bad years. What's going on? And yeah, they deserved it. They were being judged. But, but they're, they're accusing God and God's saying, I never gave up on you. So when you fail... And when you're at your lowest, church, when you're at your lowest point, he's never giving up on you. But the people who don't believe him, those people have a scary destiny ahead. They have a scary future ahead if they don't accept Christ. They'll be separated from the love of God forever in a place we call hell. You love me. You love me. And then I want to take you to 1 John. And instead of um, putting it up on the screen, I want you to see it so you can find your way here this week if you, if you end up coming back to think about this. Would you go to 1 John 4? This is a part of the message I changed. You also notice I was going to ask the question of why he loves us. I changed it to how in your notes. If you want to cross off that point four, it's not about... This passage is not about why he loves, but how he loves. 
1 John is all about the love of God. I just want to call your attention to three verses and just see if they sink in in light of everything we've talked about this morning. 1 John 4.10. This, oh, by the way, if you're still finding it, it's right before Revelation. Just go back a few books. Go to the end and, and, and back up a little bit. 1 John 4.10. This is the one you go back to this week if you want to think about these things some more. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Some of your translations don't say atoning sacrifice. They use a big word, starts with a P, propitiation. And that just means God is furious at our sin and Jesus paid the price. It's the cross. On your worst day, on the day when you yell at the sky, God, do you really love me? I want you to look at the cross and remind yourself he couldn't possibly love you more. He couldn't possibly love you more because he died for you. He wanted you and he purchased your salvation and he took out his furious, terrifying wrath on his own son. And on your worst day, that's still good news. It's still the best news. Keep going with me to verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us, so we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. We have confidence that God's love is making us like Jesus. And it says, we don't have to worry about our judgment. You don't have to worry you don't have to be in a terrifying place one day waiting for judgment to come. People that have died without Christ are in a place where they're just waiting. They're waiting. And we don't have to worry about it. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And then finally, I'll show you uh, chapter 5, verse 17. You ought to read the whole thing. I'm just putting out some highlights. That is totally not the one I wanted. Where is the one I wanted? hate it when I do that. Um, let's see. Maybe I will read the whole thing. Let's see. Let's do verse 13 on. I've written these, written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. We know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If we see a brother does, does, uh, commits a sin that does not lead to death, we should pray and God will give them life. Let's see. Let's jump down. That's the end. That is not what I wanted. Let's see. Here we go. Let's go to 419. Let's do chapter 419. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. This is the one. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So that's what I wanted. If, you, if you've experienced God's love for you and you know it's true, you will end up loving other people. So listen to me. I love what Jason shared this morning. You know, going to Ghana, loving those people showing them how to do dental work, it's perfect. It's great. It's love. That's love. 
Why do we love like that? Wrong answer is because Jason's a great guy. He's a great guy. The right answer is kids are laughing about that. That's 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 good. That's good. Um, he is a great guy. That's true. That's true. It is very true. Very true. But the reason we travel across the world is because God's love has changed us. When you begin to doubt God's love for you, you begin to pull back your love for other people. Those two things are connected. If you know the cross and you know how much God loves you, you will be able to love other people well, even the unlovable ones. Those two things have to go together. They have to change you. It's the only way that works. Would you love God well? And would you love people well? He loves you. Would you stand with me and we'll be dismissed?